first, if you curse within its first essay. Oh yeah, I know, uh, I got you, I got you. Yeah. We gonna keep it ad friendly. What flags have you gotten on, on YouTube? My account's been deleted three or four times, my entire, the entire channel. Same channel, you got the same channel back? Yeah, the entire channel's been deleted three or four times. At a certain point, it was almost like a joke, a bad joke, I mean, I think, what was it, 2019, 2018, 2019, 2020, at the same time, in July, they deleted my channel. There's some sort of automated audit that they do um, to review content that would always flag everything that I would, or a certain section of what I was doing or had done. And then they would determine, oh, you have over 50 videos that... Some type of copyright? Not even, it's not even copy, it's not copyright strikes. Because I noticed you have, you'll use like movie clips or like different like known things. Yeah. Like cartoon stuff. That has that's its own that's its own separate issue. So times that my channel got deleted, it wasn't for oh you got uh, the rule. I think even now still is like oh you get three copyright strikes mm -hmm. chances. You get one, um, and then like you get like a slight restriction. And you get two, and then like you basically can't even upload. And then you get the third, and they delete your channel, no questions, no appeal, no nothing. And so I never got three at one time. I got two, and was on the the border of. But when it got deleted, it was for what they call um, deceptive practices and scams. What are you selling crack on YouTube? <laughs> what are you doing up there? What are they? What, what were you doing? Like, did you, it's also like it's weird because it's like vague a lot of times. You don't really know exactly what they mean. It's very vague. But under the, I knew I knew I started working with them music distribution. So then I started knowing the people that actually handle YouTube content, like on the back end, and then they can go and what help they me out, and they would say, "Oh, well, I see that it's this." What they call like reposted content so like certain times they were against sort of the idea of chan which is weird but the idea of channels that would like aggregate like memes or aggregate certain types of things to show them off in like a compilation which is what everyone does now you know to be honest like the things that are bubbling now are just basically like compilations of tiktoks and shit like there's a lane for that i mean even if you look right? at back in the day on tv it's america's funniest home videos ridiculousness exactly. it's just other people's content exactly right you're in totally right it's not a new idea but when people would do this on youtube they will they wouldn't want those cr creators to be i don't know i guess the trend so those videos would go nuts seven million views the creator would stay at like 100 subscribers <laughs> can't monetize it Mm. And then they just fade away, and then someone re-uploads it. So YouTube really didn't give a fuck about those type of creators, so they would, you know, um, penalize them. And then I was at that point bigger than them, and I was doing something, what I would call slightly different than that. But even still, the automated detection, they would say, "Oh well, you're reposted content." What's different about what you were doing? You think? Um, the the difference was. What a lot of people were doing were just compilations of existing things. What I was doing was basically a visual DJ mix, right, of ideas and concepts, and I would storyboard these things. So if I'm chopping up a movie, I want to tell a story visually from that movie that might be a subset of the movie, like an idea from that story or a completely new story, and match that with what I feel the song would be. So in my mind, I'm thinking if I were scoring this film with this, like, weird electronic shit what would it what would it be like or this this funk track you know what would it be like and then construct it from there so to me it to me it was an art form you know i, I don't think people understand maybe you understand it now or understood what i was doing on like the youtube side they're like yo you cut this piece of this movie and put it here and blah 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 
I'm like, well, I did it in such a way that like the copyright detection doesn't give a fuck. War Warner Brothers is not coming after me, right? So what's the problem? Oh, well, it's, it kind of matches whatever detection we're using for reposted content, which is yeah. technically scam or deceptive practices. And you've been on YouTube long enough to where I feel like you've seen the rules change. Like probably when you started, oh, yeah. I don't even think monetization existed. I right? forget actually. This was well. This was this is like 2011. I started. That was the first video I put out, and it was a. I mean, monetization for what the type of thing I was doing. That I mean, I thought there'd be no chance for that, right? At, at best, it was like bloggers were like, "Oh man, like Casey Neistat and guys like that." They're like, "Oh man, this is what a YouTuber is." It, you know that that whole concept. What I was doing, there was no name for. Like now, it started to become like what they call music promotion, right? Obviously. You know, like, oh, there's, like, Majestic Casual and Suicide Sheep and Selection and all these other things. You know, like, oh, well, this is actually a thing. And then over time, it gained garnered respect because millions or hundreds of thousands of people started building communities around, oh, this guy puts out this type of music, now this is the genre. And then now, flash forward, that's basically how genres are named based on the communities that are built around them, mm -hmm. usually centering around, like, I want to say gatekeepers, tastemakers sounds pretentious but like people that were like putting out the stuff and promoting it and pushing the aesthetic of what it looks like like what is like chill house look like what is and all this is very important classically you that you get that from the clubs or whatever internet generation you get it from the visual aspect of the internet the front page of that is is youtube you know and i guess you could say social media instagram not so much twitter as a visual platform you say like Instagram, TikTok, calling it a visual platform. I don't know. That's like calling a casino an art gallery, but you know, similar. You know, similar. What What do you think uh, it is that draws like fans to these like niche subcultures? Like we're talking about underground stuff, lo-fi, funk, which I actually really didn't even get hip to funk till I seen on your channel with like the PH. Yeah, yeah. What do you think it is about um, these these uh, subcultures that people gravitate to, and the kind of is it like the anti thing because it's not mainstream? It's something else. It's like people want to be on some other shit, or it's like what, what do you think it is? I mean, it definitely depends. What I what I would say is almost it's almost it's, it's I think some people think it's that, but I think that's them kind of fooling themselves. Like the things they like about the subcultures is that they reference something familiar nostalgic and in, in, in many cases but not necessarily always is taking something familiar that they that they know and not even completely subverting it but changing it in such a way that it has a different feeling to it and then the experience of taking something that someone doesn't fuck with and then turning it into something they like is very transformative like mentally so if I take so someone's like oh man like this music is trash man I don't, I don't listen to Everybody loves it, but I don't like sexy red, man. This shit just outplayed. I'd have heard it a yeah, thousand it's times. Outplayed. It's trash. That's not disrespect. Sexy, though. Sexy. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, <you know, laughs> I really do fuck with sexy red, though. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I, you know, that's a, a separate, a separate thing. That's a separate <laughs> thing. But say, like, somebody doesn't fuck with it, but then yeah. it gets remixed in such a way they're like, oh, damn, this shit. Is, oh, oh, okay. Who's, vo whose vocal is this? I'm like, that's sexy red on the vocal. I just. There's a different perspective on it. Now this song has a different feel to it, you know, so don't think so strictly about what you like and why you like it and expand. And I think that idea is what draws people to the subcultures of I can be flexible, I can enjoy it, there's no pressure of 
how it should be enjoyed because no one knows what this is and to, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to, to me, the underground culture reminds me of just like, like being in high school and kind of like finding out about shit before your friends. Exactly. So it's like now with like exactly. with social media and how things are set up right now, we all kind of get hip to music around the same time. Like something will go viral, it become mainstream, and we all kind of just we find out about it together for the most part. But it was this thing like back in the day of you just discovering new artists that like your friends didn't know about and putting them on. That was like the best feeling. Like when mm -hmm. you put your friend on with somebody, you'll never let them forget that. Yeah, I mean, and I I think for me, that's what it represents. For everyone else, I think that was a question before. I think it's that. But for me, that's what it represents because I was that guy. Like, hey, you know, I, I mean, I'm selling mix. I, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 30s. So I was selling mix CDs at high school. You know what I mean? And making mixtapes from recording shit on the radio on cassette tape and then giving it to people and be like, yo, I just heard this the other night. And that's what that's what we do. Talk about, damn, you just heard this. And my family lives in the South, so I would travel down there with them to South Florida and come back with all these underground, at the time, underground tapes, like Pastor Troy, 3-6 Mafia Underground, Volume 1s and 2s. Early cash money, like before 400 degrees and before the block is hot, there was what was it? Hot boys get it how you live the album, and they were all like young as shit. And you have all these people. This, this boy Wayne was like 11 or some shit. Yeah, like yeah. Nine when he came out. <laughs> yeah, they had all these like skits and stuff, and and the sound was so different than what was in the mainstream. So I was used to like the idea of coming and showing somebody something, and then seeing their face light up. Well, well, first they you see their face scrunch up like, nah, what is what is this? And then and after a while they warm up to it, and it's a transformation, you know. And to your point, I think a lot of underground culture is for the people, for the creators. That's what the communities get off on. Oh man, I'll build this community. I'm gonna show you this. I'm gonna show you this. Oh, you didn't know you could do this, did you? Damn, show me how to do this. What what drum kit do you got? Like, who who was this sample from? Who was, what is this? How did you make this? And that creative energy is more genuine than how do we make money off of this as the initial thing. And so that separates the underground from the mainstream. The initial question in the mainstream is how do we make money off of this, which I'm not saying that's a bad way to think about things, but I'm saying that in the underground is I'm excited about this. I saw this person do this or I have this idea and it'd be really great if I could make this thing. So that's that's what the underground represents to me in terms of the creators within it. Um, so you touching a little bit on coming up like, or starting your YouTube channel at like 11, 12. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about just coming up? Where were you born and raised? How you even get into doing like creative stuff? Yeah, I mean, so I was born in, in Belgium. And Belgium? Then, yeah, in Belgium, in Mons, Belgium. And um, it's military uh, family. And so then we moved over to the East Coast to, to the DMV area after a while. And, you know, I went to high school and middle school and stuff here. So I connect deeply with the DMV area. You know, and at that time, this is the early 90s, um, so DMV sound is a lot of go-go, a lot of the hip-hop in the DMV. Um, I mean, you, some of it's local, of course, but a lot of it is just piggybacking off the mainstream New York ideas, uh, you know, and that was, that was all of hip-hop. No one really respected the South, outside of the South, but we would travel down to visit people, you know, our family members in South, South Florida, Carolinas, Atlanta, and the radio stations would have this different vibe to it. I mean, we're hearing Chopped and Screwed, we're hearing all these different things, and that had a massive influence on me. 
because uh, then when I would go home for the majority of the year, I would have three six mafia plan. You know, I have slob. I'm in the fifth grade with with slob on my knob on the cassette tape. You know, <laughs> on the I bus. Think we, 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 I think we were probably in high, I think I was in high school when I came out. Yeah. People were like, "Yo, what the fuck is this?" And I'm like singing all the words and the whole thing, and it's it's great. It's it's great. How were you discovering music at that time? It was just that, like, I would get it from my sister, or I would get it from people from down south. And then I loved movies, so I would always listen to like movie scores all the time. And I was a classical pianist as well, so I started playing piano like around like the, you know early early like uh, seven or eight. And I began to really enjoy that. And so I play a lot of like Prokofiev, like Beethoven, um, Debussy, you know, people like that. Those are my favorite composers at that time. And so it's like you take that and you combine that with Three Six Mafia or you combine that with, you know, all these other sounds. And I started to have an affinity for like this vibey sound where it was like basic standard, like maybe dark hip hop or just hip hop in general, but it had sort of a, a different, um, almost storytelling, thematic element to it. And because I'm watching credits all the time and TV all the time, a lot of times I would listen to music and watch shit on mute. So I watched like the Weather Channel on mute or the TV, you don't know if you're <laughs> the, the TV Guy channel. channel. Yeah, like the, the Weather Channel, late because I stay up late at night and they shit was at that time like shit just wouldn't be on it'd just be like the weather channel and like scrambled like pornos on um uh, you know scrambled pornos what is that so like uh back back so <laughs> so I'm dating myself so back in the day how it worked was you had you remember pay-per-view channels yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We, so, we, like, I think we saw pay-per-view like boxing matches and yeah, stuff yeah. like that so yeah. so back then like it wasn't digital it was analog in terms of how it was restricted so like you, your TV would get all of the channels, but if you didn't have a certain box, it would come in scrambled up. Mm. So if you wanted to see, the, I, I was a huge wrestling fan, so if you wanted to see like WrestleMania, you can go and try to look at it, and it would be all scrambled up. And you're like, oh, I think, I think this is happening. You kind of hear it. So to watch it, they actually have to send you a physical device? Yes. Really? Yes. And so you have the device, and you know we would never get the device. Well, they could also just send send the signal, but the the, the point is that like, that signal was a result of like a very specific device called a it's like an FCC thing. Uh, but we would bootleg it by getting a cable to scrambler. You could buy a thing a descrambler that would descramble wow. the analog. So you descrambling pornos in the crib. Just yes, <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, but it was a whole aesthetic just seeing it scrambled. You know, and so a lot of this style and things I incorporated included this idea of like this analog distortion both audio and mm. visual so that's like the whole VHS kind of so that's where that came from that's where that came from that's and crazy. that's actually the same hardware I'm using right yeah. these same the cable to scramblers and things are, they still exist I mean all the rules are still the same From I think I've seen a video of you or maybe Full Metal was using I think it was you where you had like a physical device and you were turning knobs and that was yes. the glitches and shit and he yeah. put me on it because I was right. using video editing tools, you know, and looking for plugins. I was like, damn, how do they make it look like it's a VHS tape? How do they make it look like it's this? And it just wasn't hitting the same. And then Full Metal was, did a video, it's called, I think it's called Shiny Lapras. And it was like, the, v the effects were just like so good. I was like, damn, like what's the plugin? He said, no, nah, I got the glitch box. The glitch box. I said, the glitch box? And he shows it to me and it's like, this shit, this rate shit, Radio Shack thing with all these buttons on top. I'm like, damn, where do you get that? He's like, you can get them on eBay, like search for this. 
So he put me on to actually doing it for real. So there's no program that syncs with that box. All in, it's all in the. This is all analog. This all is all box. composite, right? Yeah. So I mean, technically you can do it, you know, but it's all just composite. So now, like, I've taken that, you know, full scale over the years. And so, for example, I did a show in D here in DC, and um, to do the visuals, I had a PlayStation Three and a, a glitch box. And what I was that PlayStation Three for? The PlayStation Three. You, remember, you could put USB in there okay so you could play files off of the playstation 3 at lower quality but what i could do is i could load files into a playstation 3 it outputs to an analog source that i run through this old school vit glitch controller then i could change it back to hdmi and output it over like an 8k projector so the result is like you get all these old school ass visuals but in super high def mm. super bright and they're all made on the fly so i can like for example, go to the USB on the PlayStation and like go to like um, a skeleton video of like Skeletor saying something, and then skip through to like a, a scene where something else is happening. He's like moving down a mountain, have it match up with like some young Dolph lyrics. It's almost like fucking spinning music, but with exactly. visuals. Uh. Exactly. So like I'm chopping and, and you know moving the visuals with the music, and the people will notice. The people understand it visually. And aesthetically, it's hard for them to explain, but they can, oh shit, this just matched up with this and this. So that all came from that old school experience of looking at Scramble, trying to look at Scramble Port and stuff That's like that. funny as shit. We were reading the, um, I think it was the Amuse IO article on you. And it said yeah, that like, yeah. at like right before you started your YouTube channel, your house got broken into and somebody stole yeah. all your laptops. Yeah, this was and in you college, had to, yeah. You had to restart. And it also said, I wanted, um, it said you, were, you, got, you went through a, a period of demotivation. Oh, hell yeah. After that. How was that scenario? How did that lead to you starting your YouTube channel, if it did? Yeah, definitely. It definitely did. Because um, I was always still just kind of putting out things and editing things. But the idea of it, putting it out on a location wasn't really that popular or known even that much. This is like 2006. So you're not, you're not dropping on anything at that point. You're just making stuff yeah, for I mean, yourself. There's, yeah, there's nothing to drop it on. I mean, you know, SoundCloud doesn't exist. Uh you know, YouTube doesn't exist. That piff out at the time, that piff, hot new hip hop. Yeah, yeah, the PhD performed. The, the, the forums were there, so that piff existed, but that's for you know people that were even in the underground more established. That's like okay, I found just finding Ninth Wonder. You know, I'm looking at that piff to get that that new thing. That's like what was it, the Jay Z Black Album flips? It was like the Black Album, the Gray Album, the White Album. And all the the producers and beat makers really came out. So you, I mean, maybe you get stuff like that, but I'm not gonna contribute anything. I'm just fucking around. Is is how I'm thinking about it. And so I didn't. I just made tons and tons of music. A lot of it was like chopping, screwed, slowed down, three six, flipped with TV shows and weird samples like that, like what they call mashups. At the at the time, the only name for it was mashups. And um, did you have like a like a friend group by the time you're doing it with or are you passing this stuff out to your friends just keeping it for yourself like what are you doing with it no I'm, I'm forcing my friends to to suffer through the things that i'm creating mm. at, the, at that time you know and i was, there, was a, there was nobody else creating with you you were just it was like a solo thing there was a guy that was much more legit his name's kevin alexander he was um you know actually operating in the studio uh, i went to the university of maryland he was operating in the radio station and he was like recording artists and setting up shows so like one of the shows was like it's one of the first stops on a college dropout tour for Kanye back then. And it was like, oh, Kanye is here, backpack Kanye and John Legend doing their thing. Backpack just, Kanye. Yeah, yeah. So he was bringing people in like that. And I was just, oh man, he's really doing a thing. You know, I'm I'm just fucking around with the cracked 
early cracked Fruity Loops reason and shit like that on my my computer. And it, but at that time, it was like, oh, if you're not in a studio, you're not a real producer, damn near. That was the idea. The the bedroom laptop producer was like, I wasn't. Even, it wasn't like a dirty word, but it was like, oh, you're not serious. I mean, that was know. probably really still the idea until like Chief Keef, maybe. Absolutely. Even yeah, yeah. Even like to the music video, just doing it solo, like not too high production, just like real, like raw shit. Yeah, that DIY wasn't really encouraged that much, and so around that time, I started making a lot, and then uh, the house I was living in uh, got cat burgled, <laughs> straight cat burgled. What do you we, mean by cat burgled? We were in the house, you know. It was like me and I had four roommates, and we we're on a top floor of the house watching this movie, National Treasure, because seen that shit like ten times. They had filmed it part of it on the University of Maryland at the time. Really? And so everyone, the day of the filming, everybody was, you could like go and like be an extra. So when the movie came out, everybody, I was not. But some of my friends, they, they had like, you know, half a second of, that's me, you know, in the extras. It's like the, there's a scene where there's, there, he's racing through like a prom, not a promenade, but literally like the middle of University of Maryland, what they call a mall. And there's like all these people running around crazy. And it was like, okay, that's where people were trying to see their ex. So anyway, we're watching that shit. And um, uh, I live downstairs in the basement. I go downstairs to use the bathroom. And I know it's a little colder for some reason. I can't figure it out. I, I leave the bathroom. I look, and the window is cracked open just a little bit. And the window is behind like a whole bookshelf, like a proper bookshelf. So if someone were to crawl through it, they had to crawl crawl. They open the window and crawl through like a bookshelf of like like a regular size, yeah, like not, a shelf like this. Yeah, like a shelf. No, not squared, but a, a rectangular yeah, shelf. Yeah, yeah. And so like it doesn't even occur to me that that could have happened. It doesn't even occur to me. I'm just like, why the fuck would I leave the window open? That seems bizarre. I go back upstairs, and it trips me out again. I go back downstairs. And I remember, I, I want to go to my room to to get something. I go to my room and my desk is clean, like clean, like. I had a desktop, all my little external drives, other shit, the power supplies, and this the, the monitor on this like white desk. I go in and all I see is white. I'm so confused. I go back out, I look at the window, and it starts to dawn on me. Someone I, I know somebody stole my fucking computer. They broke. I guess at that time maybe computer was like that. I mean, that's, that was the most expensive down there. And they they just ripped everything. There's cords just like ripped. Someone some were just cut. I was just like. So that's all they took, it's just your equipment? Be all the equipment downstairs, except for the, the big boy speaker, you know, which I guess, I'm not sure how they would take that, but they took my laptop, they took my desktop, my hard drives, all my shit, you know. So at that time, I was really demotivated because I knew it had to have been someone that had been to my house before. Mm. You know what I mean? So I'm like, oh. Now, now it's like, damn, they, they, I can't trust people. You know, and it, they they stole the one thing that only had value to me. You know, like it wasn't worth what, that. What much. if all the music you had on there just started releasing, like Yo, under like a label? Just <laughs> just start coming out. The leak. I mean, I would be I would be excited for that. I would love that. So you never like found out who it was, I guess, or we no, we found out we found out who it was and where they were reselling everything at. But mm. did you get it back? It, it got too hectic. And in the interest of my loved ones and the people around me, I, I did not uh, go and, and get it back. Gracefully, so I'll say it like that, you yeah. know. So I said, I just, just take the loss, and mm. but it was really demotivating. So how I, long I were you in that. that demotivating period, and what was the like? Yeah, how was it from there? Like, how'd you decide to what were you gonna do next? That was like 2008 to 2011, and I, I stayed in the same spot. 
for a little while and then um after school and stuff and I started working and you know I decided I was just going to travel I, tra- I traveled a lot it was like my job at the time was like 80 80% travel what'd you uh, do um, I was doing implementation of like networking equipment in hospitals but before then I was a bus driver at the university for that whole time so it was like a transition from doing these bus rides to okay you know proper you know engineering computer science job and you know that was cool so I was able to distract myself from okay I can't really do music right now or whatever there's a whole new challenge set of challenges and creativity I can learn and do in your job, mind, so in your mind, when you put it down at that time, were you like, "I'm gonna eventually pick it back up," or did it feel like at that time, "I'm not, I'm like, I'm done with this"? It was, it was more so like I didn't want the pressure of it anymore. I just wanted to enjoy it and consume because I still like con- just consuming. And I realized I'm, I'm a much better fan than I'm a creator right now. So let me just be a fan right now and absorb. And you know, when I start getting that itch of like, damn, I. The itch for me is like when you you watch, you listen to someone, you watch someone, you, you see a piece of art, and you're like, ah, I would have changed this. I would I would have made that line over here. If it was just like this, all would be perfect. That's how I know. Like, okay, now it's time to start creating stuff. And that didn't hit me until like 2012 again, where I was like, I'm a huge fan of things. I want to support them. What can I create around these other things that I love? And I'm finding on Bandcamp. And I'm finding on SoundCloud. SoundCloud era to me. And all that was starting to bubble on Bandcamp, like in 2011 or so, 2010. I didn't even know Bandcamp was a thing at that time. I, I think it, I think it was, it might have been Bandcamp, but it might have been a couple other things. But I was downloading music from these like collectives, and like there's this idea of like this vaporwave sound that was brewing. So artists like Bloodwave and people like that. I was just like, what is, what is this sound, and where is it from, and. Um, and so all those, I think that was when I first experienced like real niche genres. You had like old school hip hop or underground hip hop, which were damn near synonymous at that time. But then it became like, okay, this, that's a different thing. And in 2011-12, I think at that time, who's hot? Wiz Khalifa. Yeah. Like Rick Ross, Wayne, all yeah. them, Nicki, Drake. Absolutely. That's, that type of stuff. Absolutely. And there was like a resurgence from the 2001s. Uh, Stone Throw, MF Doom era, where people were starting, to really starting to respect it. So you getting like beat tapes again, you getting shit like that, and it's like, well, we don't need anybody rapping over it. We just this is a beat tape, and it has a look and a feel. And I was like, damn. And then you had Future Bass popping off as a genre. You had, you know, dubstep was dying down by that time. It was becoming just like a mainstream noisemaker. But then everything else around that started to evolve. So I said, damn, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to make a YouTube channel where I'm posting images and videos associated with these sounds because the artists, I know they can't, apparently they can't make music videos. They're just independent artists. So I'm going to make their music videos. And so then that's how the idea of it started. I can practice my video editing and get something creative out of my head um, with no pressure of like, oh, you know, the the standard process of, of making a thing and releasing it. I said I could still kind of get what I want out of it and find new music at the same time. Those, I went back, kind of looked at like your first videos on the channel. Those early ones, were those original like songs those artists gave for you to drop on there or what were those, like your mixes of those songs? Uh, it's, it's half and half. Like some, sometimes I would like just do like a light mix of stuff. Like I would slow things down or I'd change the tone or do weird shit with it. But a lot of times, early days, it was, I'm just trying to show respect to the artists. So I would, 
post up their stuff and they would hit me up like, oh, damn, like, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. Like, no one's listening to it and we're trying to find places to put it. And I get, you know, I'm happy that your YouTube channel picked it up because now that your YouTube channel, which is, which is smaller at the time, picked it up. Oh, these other YouTube channels, that's what they're doing. They're, they're Googling to see, okay, what, what can we post? These promo channels. So, yeah, I got on Majestic Casual. It was on yours first. And now I got hundreds of thousands of plays on this thing. Majestic and Casual, is that a, is that a genre or, or a person? It's a, it's a brand from that, that early YouTube promotion time. Okay. They were one of the first promoters alongside another guy, Mr. Suicide Sheep. A lot of people know. But um, it was like a post-dubstep, future bass Vibe, EDM, early EDM, could be drum and bass, could be jungle, could be hip hop fusion sort of thing. A majestic casual was more like selection in its in its uh, construction, though in terms of its sound, it would be like vibey, uh, uh, R and B influence, electronic pop. Almost. Bro, just name like every genre. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> genres I never even heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, but that that's kind of what that sound was. But yeah. it was very smooth. I mean, just it was very smooth, easy listening type of shit you listen to at work. The type of shit that people now go more towards, oh, our lo-fi, you know, playlist or whatever, study and chill. But it was like the original incarnation of that, but without mixes, just with singles. Yeah, I seen I seen actually in that same Amuse article, y'all were talking about lo-fi and how it kind of started on YouTube. It said it was a big boom on YouTube when they started the live capabilities. Mm -hmm. And that's when, I guess, the what's the, I think I wrote it down. It was the cat lady. What is it called? The study girl. The study, study girl, girl with the anime. Yeah, it was. It was like, is yeah. that like is that how you got introduced to lo-fi? How'd you get into lo-fi? And um, what, in your opinion, is there a correlation? I, I touched on it in an article too. What's the correlation between Cartoon Network and anime? being involved with lo-fi yeah so lo-fi was always kind of just doing instrumental hip-hop but there's no real specific genre label associated with it outside of that outside of either calling it instrumental hip-hop which most people weren't saying or they say oh it's beats you know you're making it's, it's beats and then beats became chill beats chill beats slowly became this idea of like maybe chill hop and then once once a lot of us started putting out these very, very cassette tape, SP404 type of lo-fi beats, and it became, okay, lo-fi hip-hop is a thing, right? So, but this is something that was always, that was being uploaded for a long time, you know? I was putting up a lot of what you call now lo-fi hip-hop tracks, things like that. And, um, of course, um, I always forget the one with the raccoon. I think it's Chill Cafe, but it was, it was them and... Um, was now is Lo-Fi Girl, but was Chilled Cow at the time. And they're mainly doing, like, easy listening jazz bumps, kind of. Maybe, like, you call it jazz hop now, So what they the, were doing. Those live videos would be like that girl. Is that all original music? Is somebody just making all that stuff original? Because it'd be, like, 24-hour streams. Yeah, yeah, it's all this, like, promotion, right? So it's all music from, you know, hundreds of producers. So on my streams, it's, you know, many different producers interspliced with some beats that I'm making. But are, they, are, you whatever. Hitting, are they hitting you with copyrights on that or like these channels that are playing these live streams? Oh, yeah, streams? it depends. It depends. Like, um, that's, a, that's a huge thing. So, like, usually how it works is, well, back then, so say I would make a mix. It's an hour and a half long mix. And I got maybe 70, 80 producers on this mix. And it's, I'm chopping them all up. It's all underground stuff. So at first, you don't get any content ID because these are artists that... For many reasons, they, can't, they probably don't even have content ID. Turn on yet? Like, 
yeah, they couldn't distribute their music because their music is riddled with samples that they have no clue how to clear. Um, but then when distribution became more mainstream, yes, as, as in like artists were able to upload for free or for cheap any music, and it was on the distributor to say, hey, this is a sample, it's getting taken down, or for someone to come and try and sue them or whatever, then everyone was up just uploading all these lo-fi tapes that they had had. And so then I would get a bunch of content ID and copyright claims years later after the fact. So I would post something up and promote their music. It maybe gets <laughs> 5 million streams or something on like a, like a high at work. Gets millions and millions of streams, right? Then maybe a year later, the producer would go and upload it to TuneCore. And then TuneCore would say... Would they try to get back money for everything it made? They would, they would try many things, but the thing is, like, it, it, it's not generating any money, necessarily. Mm. If it is generating money, well, use the content ID, and you'll get all the, f the future money from the thing. Because I, I would never put ads on the stuff that I would do anyway, so it wasn't like a million streams. I mean, I, did, I had a job. You weren't even actually making it. Yeah, yeah I, wasn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't want YouTube to be my source of income at all because that would change the nature of how I thought about it. Mm. Right, you know what I mean? It's like you know, so I was just like, I was like, whatever. So then they would later do the content ID, and depending on which distributor did it, they might do copyright strike or copyright, you know, strong copyright claim make versus down. make you take it down, you put a strike on your channel, and put the whole thing in jeopardy, right? And you know that that kind of process is very interesting. So I've been through all that stuff where it's like. You put something out and it's great for a long time and then it's a oh, bunch of issues but ultimately uh, at this point after working i work with amuse and distributors and things like that now i understand how it's layered so there's a mutually beneficial situation for most people i post your music on my channel we run up a million views and we split the the revenue the revenue sharing model and everybody wins because I love your music. I think it should be out there. I know that my audience would like, you know, your music. And they're like, well, you have an audience that you cultivated over all these years. I don't have that yet. So it's mutually beneficial. So business-wise, it can be good business without being some weird exploitative thing and go by the rules of these various platforms at the same time. You just got to know how to do the right things in the right way. Yeah. So you put it down for a few. You said you're traveling the world. Mm. Um, you pick it back up. You start the channel. How did you um like? Okay, you start the channel. What what was the traction like in those in those early times? When did you feel like you started like kind of getting your foot in? And also maybe touch more on that. You said mm -hmm. you didn't want your YouTube YouTube to be your main source of income because it would change how you thought about it. Like, what do you right. mean by that? So, for the first three years, I mean, I, I had more videos than I had subscribers, mm. right? Because I'm posting a video at a certain point after the, after the first year, or in, yeah, maybe like six months into the first year, I decided I was going to post something new every day. That was going to be the goal. I post, post a video every the single day. Years? Yeah, for the, so I said, okay, well, let me just do that. And that's what I did. And I just posted something new. Something new was coming out every day, period, right? Every single day for those six or seven years. Um, but in the first three years, I had, you know, 110 subscribers. I remember that was the magic number, 110. You had you 110 would, for three years? Yeah, so I would lose them. And you'd be like, damn, I'm at 106. Mm. Damn, I'm, a, I'm at 112. Up, oh, damn, damn, damn. <laughs> you know, it was like that. And so I had already given up on the, the, the idea of being one of these large YouTube channels or whatever the case, 
right? I, I had already looked at the analytics all this time and was trying all this stuff and done that for years and decided, well, it's more enjoyable to just do it this way. So for years it was like that. Then I started changing up what I was doing. Specifically, I started making these long videos, which was a rare thing at the time for music, right? You didn't really have a lot of like long mixes, mainly for copyright reasons. Most DJs would just play a bunch of popular music and of course all that gets flagged, so no one was doing that, right? So it was rare to have like an underground DJ mix of original new music. And once I started doing that, and at the time YouTube was heavily valuing retention time and still watch are, time. Still are. They are. Not, not, this was when they were first kind of rolling it out. Side note, we can get back to this. What do you think they're looking at now if it's not retention? They're looking at a more complex combination of retention percentage, the points in the video that are, people are being retended, you know. Um, but they're, they're, they're definitely doing a bit more. At that time, it was just pure watch time. So if you have a one-minute video and it's watched a million times, well, that's a million minutes. If I have a 10-minute video... Ten, mm, 10 million minutes, mm. Right? And, you know, the retention is 60%. You know, that's a way better signal. So you'll grow relatively... You'll get suggested more relative to that scale. So that was kind of like the lane. So I started making these, like, long mixes, which was a first-person bus drive going through different parts of Japan with, with chill lo-fi nostalgic beats behind it because that's what i would just watch at work and you're making the beats no at, at this time, time this now i'm working with guys on Bandcamp. Okay. this guy for the first set of him it was jpn um or, or japan as, as you can call him and he he was prolific i would make some beats i made like four or five beats in a in in a week or two weeks and he would come out with an album of 20 yeah. beats you know, and um, I'd say, oh, shit. And then the next month, he'd come out with another one. And they would all be so good. So I was just like, listen, man. I was like, send me the waves over, man. I got something for you. And I started making these long cuts, these buses driving through different cities and matching them up. And he really loved that. So I did like uh, 15 of those, like 17, 18 hours worth of bus rides through Japan. And they started building. Wait, up. you're just my bad. If I'm, this might be a silly question. Are you? Where did you go to Japan? Or are you just finding videos on like the internet and shit. I'm finding the videos on okay, the internet. Okay. I'm people hitting up people in Japan. They're like, "Yo, use this, use this, blah blah blah." Like, I have this thing. Use this thing. They're sending me these hundred gig zip folders of just gig, just bus, just bus footage. And I'm watching all of just. Hey, they're going leaving Tokyo and they're going here and they're hopping on the train and it's just them for hours and hours and it's hypnotic. And so I'm bringing these things together. And then, you know, the editing, the coloring, and all that stuff, you know, uh, to make it make sense on the platform. And that that caused a huge jump, relatively, right? I went from 100 to now I'm at like 1,200 subscribers. And I've done this clams, video for Clams Casino for um, this track called Gorilla. And it went super viral relative to the time, you know? Um, and so between those two things, I got like 1,200 subscribers. I was like, man, this is great. This is going good. And then I put out um, this video, High at Work. And High at Work exploded. And that took it from 1,200 to 10,000. What was that also? Just uh, some type of visual with somebody's beat? Or what was, what was that? It was still visuals from Japan mixed with 
there was a wave. I'm skipping over a lot, but there's like a, a bunch of other type of videos I was making. But I was making these videos called Simpson Wave videos. There was this thing. We had a whole subreddit, and we would make like you got the trapping in Japan ones. No, nah, not yet. This was okay. more where it was vaporwave was was really popular. Simpson Wave was just like really like emotional, nostalgic, like what they call the sad boy music, like the young before Young Lean, right before Young Lean. Right, it was this uh, sort of sad boy music mixed with Simpsons AMVs, basically like anime music videos, and chopped in like a very vapor wavy type of way. And so I would make a lot of those and like work with that community. And so that's why when I started making Trapping in Japan, like maybe a year after that, there's a there's a heavy Simpsons influence because I was making that for vaporwave and lo-fi things at the time. And to me, it was it was all very similar. So like the high Homer and the high Lisa, it was like my take on this idea of these like emotional poppy vapor wavy things. I was like, okay, well, how we we slow we chop and screw this and slow it down, and you know Homer's Homer's in the car, you know, chilling, and and all of that. And so it was very simplistic in an idea, I think, I guess in retrospect, but that's why like the trapping in Japan existed. And then after that, it started to grow uh, much larger into the. Like I think fifty, sixty thousand subs. Yeah, subs. And so then, you at that point you had twelve hundred subs. That one goes up. What yeah. was that one called again? That was I think that was that was hot. The early high at work. It was okay. early high at work, and then that evolved things uh, up a bit to now. Okay, now we're going from twelve hundred. Now we're racing to ten thousand. How then, long do you think it took uh, from twelve to ten? Uh, twelve hundred to ten thousand. About eight or nine months. Okay. It took three years to get from zero to one ten. And then another year to get from 110 to 1200. And also at that time, it was just way to, less people on YouTube. Yeah, it's but like it the, was buried. It was buried. I, you know, it was it was buried. You know, yeah. there and it was it was less less about the amount of people. It was more about what was popular on that platform. Like no one's going to YouTube for music back then, other than the hits. Right now it's like okay, that's where we go to. I mean, even then, like they had Vivo, but Vivo wasn't even that. Yeah. Popular, right? Bro, that's when Vivo would like if you had a Vivo video, you were official. Yeah, I mean you're I think like, now anybody, I think you can might be like these days buy one. I think you could just like pay to get on the Vivo. I'm just putting the putting the uh, logo in the thumbnail. <laughs> just throw it in the thumbnail. I see people will do that. I see people do that. It's hilarious. It's so like, what do you mean by the whole you don't want it to become your main source of income thing? Yeah, at that time I was like, you know, I wanted to be at my job, I was very serious about that and I like the idea of just having like a high functioning hobby. Like, oh, yeah, this is what I do when I'm not where I do this thing. And, you know, I could make money from it or, you know, it could be this. But oh, I'm just enjoying the, the the excitement of doing the thing that I want to do and not having to explain it to people. When you talk about, oh, making classically like, oh, and you make this make money, you need to talk about a business model. You need to talk about, okay, the return on investment on your time in doing this thing. You need to consider all those pieces, right? So I didn't really want to consider all those pieces for my hobby, Right. I just I know for a fact that changes it from I'm producing this to have this to, to, to create something that I don't know what it's really going to be. It's going to be something interesting. That I like I don't really know what it's going to be to. OK, I need to produce this to achieve this specific goal and have this specific effect. So we make this amount of money so that we can continue to to build the studio, you know, all that stuff. I had no interest in engaging in all of that because I, I know what that takes. I've seen it. I've seen that movie before and people doing that and building it and be successful or fail. But either way, I wanted it to be the hobby. 
I, th- I think for a lot of people, me personally, is uh, you want to make money in it so you can do it more. Absolutely. Because now you don't have to work this other job, and you know what I mean. Absolutely, and I and to, I so I was slow to come to that, fortunately, because I was fine. You know, I was very satisfied with my career field and what I was doing. It just became a matter of when I saw the influence it can have on the artist if I involve myself more. Because at that by this, so this is years into it. Maybe I have one hundred fifty thousand subscribers, built a little bit. When I put up somebody's video, the energy is different than it used to be. If I just post somebody's song and I, I've never communicated with them or anything, if I post their song up, they're going to hit me. They're going to email me, like a long email. Thank you so much. Happy to be on your platform. And we just got 50,000 views and we've we've never broke a 1,000 before. And thank, you know, so it became more of like, damn, this is very valuable, you know, to these artists. And I can help them achieve their personal goals of, making money from their music or getting something for their music and changing their life. So I said, oh, well, let me figure this this thing out more. So that's when in 2019, 20, well, in 2018, I left my company that I was working for. You said you said installing network at hospitals? What kind of networks? Yeah, it was, um, it was a patient safety and simulation company called uh, Beeline Medical where we would develop um, software to prevent or improve patient outcomes, right? So um, we would have cameras and an audio within like a, a exam room and review doctors and medical students diagnosing patients or doing procedures and then say hey this is the wrong way this is the right way here's a report xyz here's the oh. video all of that so to do all of that there's a software that we developed you know and that software had to be installed at these locations on top of an av system with all of the the mics and you're not the one monitoring and reviewing it you're just installing the system somebody else's the 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 actual clinicians are i train them on how to use our system to monitor the doctors and then they take it from there the people working that's crazy they had had cameras and mics in just hospitals i'm sure the patients were aware of this it wasn't like yes a lot of it was in medical schools at first now it's in live patient care you know as well but um um, it was like in medical schools, and that's how they would pass their medical. Oh, does every doctor's fucking office room have a camera in it? If you just no. go to the hospital, no, no, oh, not okay. to my knowledge. Maybe now they. I'm about to say, are they like sneaking that? I've never heard of that. No, okay. no, but that 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 is a thing, you know, in emergency rooms and things, and for okay. certain procedures, uh, definitely, right. And it's good for the patient because that's light is liability issue. If they fuck up and kill you, well, we got let's check the cameras, let's yeah. so we can sue the hospital, you know type of thing but I digress yeah so yeah yeah. but yeah so I was kind of installing and doing that to me that was creative I'm learning like damn like I now I'm learning how to install equipment like we're running wires through the walls we got server room we got some complex network you got all this cool ass cameras and all this stuff and making the audio not sound terrible and like a hospital room is hard Right, that's hard floors. That's ventilators. Everything's metal. Everything is bouncing the noise everywhere, you know. And so I'm just like, man, it's a a cool creative challenge. So I got a lot of creative, creative. I got development from that, and I would use that to to later influence the channel in a lot of ways. For me, bro, I've thought about that too a little bit. Um, I want my I think ideally for me, I can have a secondary business. 
mm-hmm. to fund like my art stuff with it, to like fund off world with it. Yeah, most definitely. Because my whole thing is I want to keep doing it and I want to make money off it, but I, I don't want to get to the point where I'm making decisions um, on like what art to create or what to do based off of money. Yeah. I feel like once you get to that point, you're almost like it's damn near like selling your soul. Like that's yeah. not what we that's not what we are doing it for. So I think the key to that is literally just to fund it some elsewhere. It's like fucking. I'm pretty sure it's a truth. I feel like I've said this before, but I've never actually looked it up. I've heard it somewhere, but like Dollar General, or like Dollar Tree or Dollar, Dollar General, that's how they run their business. They actually lose money every year off the business. Mm-hmm. So Dollar Tree as a corporation loses money every year because they're selling stuff so cheap. But mm-hmm. in their earlier days and the, like the profit they got, and they invest into other things where they make all their money so they can mm-hmm. afford to, to lose money on Dollar Tree, but still corner the market. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like just because you have one business, you can you can still have secondary things like other things. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out too. I I think right now for me is I'm just trying to figure out how to do this as long as possible and to like make the biggest impact I can. Yeah, right? there's, there's definitely diff- different ways to think about it, different philosophies. I don't I don't want to say oh my way is the right way necessarily. You know, I think I've definitely seen people, you know, like push through. You know, I, I do believe in the principle of progress over pride. Mm, you know, a lot of times, that. you know, especially as a creator, you get married to your ideas in such a way that it hinders your ability to to do it for the rest of your life because you you want to draw the line in the sand that, oh, this shit should be red or it should have this 808, whereas maybe if you were to change it to blue and, and had that cowbell, you know, you would have enough money to do whatever you wanted in the next two years. But so I've seen people make prideful decisions. What are some other examples of that? I I can't say, I can't say a few of them, but um, I mean, there's many prideful artists, I believe. You you want to talk about in the mainstream, you can think about artists that are incredibly talented, that they kind of, better for worse, fell off, off the strength of they didn't want to, I think they dramatized it as selling their soul. So that's why I say when you say sell your soul, it's like, oh, are you selling your Maybe soul? Maybe I over-exaggerated a little yeah, bit, like, but like, like you know selling, your, selling your soul or just doing something you didn't want to do at the time. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, or, you know, so to me, like, take someone like uh, uh, Azalea Banks, you know, who's super talented, but you, you, impossible to work with, apparently. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so or do, because I mean, she had, maybe has, she has her prize too strong. He doesn't want, hey, I'm not going to change this for this. All right. You know, then it's you're not you're going to have less of an impact. You're going to create less of a body of work over a period of time. So so I'm saying that I'm someone that earlier on I was very prideful in that way. And now over time, I think the real challenge is determining a creative way to do both at the same time. Like, how do I both break into the mainstream, not quote-unquote sell my soul, but still keep my creative vision and do it in a way that works for me? Like, I think that's the most difficult challenge, but it's, it's not impossible. It's just you, you need to dedicate creatively to it. So you're saying, I want to have off-world like this, and I want something on the side. There might there might be many ways to do that. Maybe you need an investor. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's a team. Maybe there's like a separate business that can be created. Maybe, maybe, hey, if you put a hundred hours into off world every week, you know, as opposed to what you're putting, maybe, maybe for for a few years, maybe boom, then you won't have to worry about any of that. So, so I think about it like that. I think there's many different options. I don't think there's one way to think about it. So, so 
I more analyze how I used to think about it, how I think about it now, how I think about it in the future. I'm open to that changing as well because everything yeah. else around us is changing. Right? Is this your main source of income now? Do you have another job? And also you touched on um, being in your late 30s. Maybe yeah. you touch on too, just like, I feel like coming up, <clears throat> we we always like thought you get out of high school, you graduate, and if you don't make it by 2021, 20, like your dreams are done. You you know what I'm saying? You're old yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like uh, with technology now, with where we're at in the world right now, we can you can pretty much create forever. Everybody can have an audience, no matter what age you are, no matter what you do. Yeah. Um, and then you see like um, I forgot what bro's name was, but Joe Budden was just talking about it on the pod. He read he read like his message, huh? Can I grab that lighter? Oh yeah, for sure. He was talking about this dude. <clears throat> he said, "He said something." But he was like basically talking about how everybody that just won Grammys is like over forty. Like oh, the youngest person post. was like thirty-eight. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, maybe touch on um, just getting older and finding ways to you know continue being creative or you know what I'm saying just stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, getting older is great. It's like your thirties, you're like your twenties, except you know more, and most of your fuck ups are in the past, probably. You know, um, functionally, it's. I mean, it, I think generationally it used to be more of a stigma because there was such... To me, I look at it all as tech problems, right? If you, like, take a look at maybe, say, your parents are in their 60s or 70s, right? The between them and their parents was more massive because the things that their parents had access to were way different because the gap between radio and TV being really great or, or decent enough, that was, like, 25, 30 years, Right. But now nowadays it's like the gap between certain technologies is so small that, oh, I'm 30. I'm not disconnected with what 16 year olds are doing. Like I can I can go and look at that right now. Right. So it's not like the, the youth has some unique advantage in the, the current state of things across people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Right. They, we can all see and access the same tools. We can see and access and interact with the same environments, really. And so it really comes down to, okay, well, who has the most knowledge? It's like, well, you know, 20-year-old person, they can be very talented, very skilled, and very ambitious. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll have the most knowledge, you know, and, and experience. And the side effect of that is the people that do have that, they might be a little bit older because they've been through a little bit more, and they're able to access those same communities, Right, you have like forty-year-old rappers and things like that. Like, they, and you look at well, who was listening to this. Oh, it's not just people in their own age bracket. It's everyone. So, um, in terms of getting older, I think that's why it's less of a thing now. It's because of that technol the technological reasons to me is is mainly why. For me, I mean, I I, I obviously uh, so I was born in '85. So I feel like I saw like the whole bridge of I remember, you know, pre-internet days, dial-up days, DSL days. I'm old enough to I, I had an AIM. Hey, listen, I had an AIM, AIM account, the AOL okay. 500 free hour CDs, you know, everything, man, you know, and you see the difference between then and now and the changes and you can learn a lot and predict a lot. And so now I'm in that er that stage of my life where I'm like how do I use all this to create something? You know, really incredible. So, and in terms of that, um, your your other question about 
primary sources of income and things like that. So I have several businesses, right? I have my own record label. I have a software company, an AI video generation platform called Vibe Video. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I want to get into that. We'll, we'll get back. Also, is Amuse your label? Uh, uh, I work. I work with Amuse. Okay. I'm 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 an employee with Amuse, so I have a job um, where I work with them as an A and R. I've been with them since. 2018. That's why I left my previous thing to go to. I seen in that same article said that you are, were like building their lo-fi music division. Yes, they had a whole thing where it's like, okay, we want to invest in niche communities because these communities are rabid. There's high engagement, and there's low competition. You know, people don't know about this stuff. Like, let's bring it to light. And you know, who's the biggest artist on the Muse right now? Biggest artist on the Muse. There's a guy Yacht Club that's going bananas. You know, a lot of music focus is sort of these international artists and artists that are trending. You know, within these spaces, you know, like Yacht Club's music from every, any emotional TikTok you've ever heard. <laughs> oh, so they got a TikTok artist. You know, it's not he's not really a TikTok artist, but it's it's more this idea that these are artists that were popularized first on the internet and then translated over to the mainstream in terms mm -hmm. of numbers. Like he has, he's, I think it went his tracks went double platinum already. You know, okay. um, billions of streams. We you got, know, yeah, we got okay. You and know. what is this? Um, hey, my go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, but um, you know, so for Muse, I was doing A and R signing artists. Um, um, on their lo-fi division side, it was you know signing those artists, working on playlisting, building out playlists, uh, figuring out creative marketing ideas around certain things, and that just kind of progressed year over year to where I would jump in and provide that type of effort for a muse. And um, so I've been with them, I guess now it's damn, damn near five years, mm. um, so, you know, since late late twenty or twenty nineteen uh, rather. So about five years uh, doing that with them, and. Um, and then, of course, there's the YouTube stuff. So there's ways to monetize and maximize. So I have members on YouTube and on, like paid members. So I provide mm. them with custom content. You know, you have the Patreons of the world. And oh, so you, do, you do the Patreon and the YouTube members? Yeah, yeah. Do, do, do all of that stuff. And then there's the merchandise uh, business where we're selling merch and creating new merch. There's the physical distribution of the vinyls. There's the shows, the tours, all that stuff. And so all those are like kind of the a snapshot of all the ventures. And then outside of that, I work with um, um, a lot of people out in LA on uh, music releases, doing digital promotion. So and it's all in the arts, though. What's that? It's all in the arts. All of these at businesses. this point. At yeah. this point now, they're all sort of in arts and technology, you know. And I think that's where the the most creativity can be made, and ironically, the most money is going to be made. So. Becoming an expert at all of that is really key to me. I think that would be the most interesting thing to do. I can see myself. I want to do maybe doing some like A and R type stuff at yeah. like a label somewhere. One day that'd be cool. Um, what is this um, AI um, software company? Oh, it's called Vibe Video. Okay. Um, so the the premise behind Vibe Video, uh, me and a guy Ben Gillen, we got together and we were making a um, and I had a series of tapes called Sad Villainy and Sad Villain. Uh, there were plays on MF Doom's Mad Villain that were chops of MF Doom with different beats and things like that. And uh, when MF Doom had passed and I had heard about it, um, you know, obviously devastated, devastated. Um, so I wanted to make a, a tape called Super Villainy where it would be three, separated into three books, The Rise, The Fall, and The Revolution. And so the idea is like the revolution, the rise and the fall would be uh, visual mixtapes of, of doom beats with different things and chops to match up. 
and then the revolution would be um, all of the the lyrics would be uh, or the voices would be AI, the voice of Doom would be AI generated and the videos themselves would be completely AI generated and so we started working on this project and during making that we just thought you know maybe we should make this into like a thing like what if we build something that just does this so there was no other program at the sound that was doing it or like you were looking for something or well the idea primarily of taking at, at that time this is uh, last year you know there there's um text to video models that were being created they were still a little earlier on but what we wanted to do was take a song and then visualize the song that's the core of what the, the idea of the vibe video you put in music and then output a music video a coherent visual understanding of the music right so um because in, in ideally not even ideally but eventually inevitably what will happen in the future is that um you'll be able to execute and create videos without the execution yeah you know? they say you'll be able to put in just like a a prompt or like a little right. mini script of a movie and then like a click of a button it'll make like a two hour long hollywood style movie like quality movie like Exactly. Exactly. So, so it goes. It'll go back to just the ideas. The creativity is what is going to be like the storylines and shit. I agree a thousand percent. And this, to me, is like Vibe Beauty is one of the stepping stones to that eventual future. And that this that this early stepping stone is hey, what what is the music video for this song? And imagine independent artists having access to that. Hey, here you go. Here, so you here's, it, your, here's uh, your song. You put in the song. Is this is this completed? Is this? Where are you guys at with it right now? We have an MVP. I mean, it's it's, it's looking pretty pretty good. It's looking pretty solid. We're in a what's that pre-seed phase? Oh, sorry, minimum viable product. So we have like a version of it you can use, you can publicly access and and try shit out with. And then on the back end, we're constantly just updating it to be more efficient, more clean. Are you guys crowdsourcing, trying to raise funds for anything? Um, yeah, we're we're in a fundraising portion right now where we're we're doing we're going doing events. Just got back from LA Grammy Week last week where we were, you know, uh, connecting with different people within the industry, within the music tech industry, VCs, et cetera, to, to you know, show excitement for what we built. And there was excitement for what we built, I feel. And um, you know, we're definitely looking to to get those funds in and really scale it even more this year. Is, is kind of my plan so so that that's that's definitely a, a big thing to me mm. um, well, I guess also on that do you want to go any into any uh how are you guys training this AI what's it like what data are you training it on um like stuff like that uh, I mean it, it changes all the time you know for what we're doing um because I, I might even sound dumb just even saying that I don't really know too much about AI but from what no. I know is like that they're pretty much like they feed it a bunch of data and yeah. it's like it's filtered through whatever like yeah, the data set for the visuals is meaning that the, there's common, common publicly available ones and things that we're using, but we're also training it on things like different, like say, say we, we want to partner with a brand, we could train it on that brand's aesthetic. Like take, say we partner with Apex, we could train it on their designs and things like that to generate something that would be and is it, coherent with uh, what they would want. Is it creating whole new images and whole new things or is it taking yeah. just, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the video, I mean, it's brand new things you know that are created mm. so okay so where can people try this out at this is a vibe video dot dot app right now okay yeah. that's fire that's fire um i really I or dot I, a, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry vibe app. are you saying vibe vibe v-i-b-e okay vibe video dot ai you can go and see see what it does and it's like free people can go do it free or is it paid right now at this stage uh, well, i got i got i got to check with the developers okay. <laughs> oh, bro gotta check with the developers now he's not sure let's, let's see what's going on um okay i think i really had like two more questions for you sure man i, sure. I thought it was um interesting i seen on your channel it was a dude i think you named him john moe 
Oh, yeah. You find this video of him at a thrift store and you kind of, yeah. it's his life and you Crazy put this story. Uh, video around it, this music around it. Um, mm-hmm. So that was from, you said a project called Overstand. Overstand, Do you want yes. to touch on that? So yes, let's talk about Overstand. Um, I'm working with um, a young woman named Jess and uh, we had this idea maybe two or three years ago where we wanted to tell the story of music within the city in the face of sort of a lot of the music is getting gentrified and such. Not not the music itself, but it's being kind of removed. The culture of DC, the actual city, is probably yeah, being gentrified. It's, it's yeah. being completely gentrified, you know. Um, and people are in the midst of that. A lot of GoGo was never digitally, you know, distributed in things. A lot of those bands, it's even now like the biggest bands. They don't have all their music out there. There's music you can only hear. You go to the spot and get the CD still, right? There's still things like that within the history of Go-Go that's just gone, right? And once uh, the fresh coat of paint goes over it, it's definitely going to be gone. And once the people that made it have died out or moved on and moved out, it's definitely going to be gone. So we're dedicated to giving people an actual understanding of what the city is, you know, what what the eradication of, of culture looks like and what you could lose and that was the idea of like overstand. And so over a period of two years, we would work on several projects. And then this one came to me literally, because I, it's weird, but I go to thrift stores all the time. Like I'm always at the thrift stores because I like to get VH, old school VHS tapes, rare, rare items like that. Home videos and shit. Home videos. <laughs> uh, What's the weirdest thing you see on a home video you found at a thrift store? Thing? Nothing's ever too weird. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of weddings. Sees like a murder on a fucking thing, like solves a murder like 20 years later. No, I got I got a few funerals. Funerals are very interesting, you know. Um, reunions, uh, not too many murders. I mean, not too many. Is is but this to to me the, the John Mo thing is the coolest because it's like a was si- that the first one, the first Overstand video you made. That's like the second or third. Oh, okay. But to, uh, to me, the best one because like that video was crazy. Like it was like six hours and it was like the evolution of him just hanging out with his boys, and then just like bullshit. Had his first son playing. Yeah, playing PS One, going to Go Go's and having his son and him him and his girl chilling a year later. And then it's, it was just a whole it was a whole saga like low key. But the crate the, the reason it was the best was because they had this go they had a Go Go event. At it was a go go indoor pool party swimsuit contest in the nineties. In the nineties, the fuck were they on? And it was packed out. Yeah, it was packed. There's people in the stairwell, you know, bumping off, going nuts. And and there's a pool there. And they, at one point they turned the lights. So I'm just like, man, what? A, and the pool's glowing green. I'm just like, man. What a what? <laughs> bro! I gotta chop this shit up. Yeah, I said, "Jesus!" Yeah, so I started chopping it up, man, and so that was the, to me the coolest thing. And I started making the story of that, the trapping in DC, and the story of John Mo is all centered around like those visuals. And what was that girl's name again? That's, that's uh, you're doing all that with? Yes, uh, goes by Just Be Thanks, Creative. Um, okay. And I'll give you her information as well. But okay. uh, yeah, we're partnered on that that Overstand project. Anything about to come out with that? Any new episodes dropping with that? Yeah, I got. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a continuation. So I have okay. a, a couple things, you know, that are eight, at eighty percent to continue to tell that story of John Mo. Yeah. The, the the kid is born, 
and and all these things. It'd be crazy my, if that guy find, if, if he like finds you. That's the if goal. If he sees that, yeah. That's, your channel, I've, I've your channel might be. It's probably big enough for him to just rent. Might get suggested to him. It's of a friend of a friend of a friend has yeah. seen it. You know, maybe I'm hoping. Um. Okay. So really, last question I had is mm-hmm. I, I I wanted to ask you how you and Full Metal linked up because that's how I found out about you. You're just he's just dropping his videos on your channel. Um. So how yeah, how did you guys link? And also, is he's the only, is he the only artist that you're dropping just exclusive videos on your channel for? Because I didn't really see. Everything else, it's not, it kind of seemed like mixes or like different different stuff. It didn't really seem like, maybe I missed it. Is there other artists you're doing that with as well? Oh, yeah, I mean, um, uh, innumerable at this point. Okay, okay. But um, me and Full Metal, he had a song called Moana that I really fucked with. And it was one of those songs that you hear, and he had a video for it. He just, hit, I think he hit me out the blue. Hey, man, love the channel. I mean, like, post this video, et cetera, bless. I watched the video. I was like, ah. I was like, I don't know about the song. I listened to it a second time. I said, oh, the song is kind of fire. I think I, I think it's good. By the fourth time, I was like, damn, this shit is genius. This is this is incredible. And the video was a whole aesthetic. It was a whole wave. And I hadn't heard anything really like it. So off the center of that, you know, I started telling him, hey, man, I'll post whatever you want, man. Just come to me. Because I come think on. he was posting on, like, Elevator. And he was real hip on the promotion early on. He knew how to make moves with that, you know. Like he was trying to get on. He got on, maybe on World Star and Elevator and those big platforms. And I was like, okay. And so I was in a hurry to really promote his visual aesthetic and his sound at the time, um, and obviously still now. But we clicked up on that, and then eventually, uh, you know, we met up in person and played a lot of VR games. You came to VA or? He, oh, what was first? I think. Um, oh, so you have been in VA though? Yeah, I've been down. I've been down to Richmond and, and kicked it with him and his boys, and um, his brothers and everything. And we're all gamers. We're all OG gamers. So a lot of them like are really serious gamers. So we instantly connected, and it was it was off to the races after that, man. So yeah, we've oh, yeah. been clicked up since then. So I mean, he came up obviously. I think recently for the podcast and um, no, for, we had a, we had a fire episode. I think. And on the radar, he did that, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, how was that? That hasn't dropped yet. It hasn't dropped yet. I seen he posted a picture. He's kind of low-key with it. He posted it. Um, are we good? Does he need something? He said, um, he needed, like, another 30 minutes. Oh, wait. Uh, well, we, we, we got before that. We better be, we wrap it up soon. Appreciate you, bro. But, yeah, if you guys are watching, we're in D.C. right now. We're running a studio. You might notice we're not in a regular studio. Um, yeah, how was the on the radar thing? He was kind of low-key about it. I seen he put it on his Twitter, the image yeah. of it, but, like, on none of his other platforms. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to put the low-key thing out before, you know, uh, they didn't give us the word not to do it or anything like that, but they're going through Detroit right now is what they're running on their main site. You okay. Know, on all the, the Detroit artists and stuff. Yeah, yeah I've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah. So I think, and I think they're wrapping it up on the Detroit artists, and I think the DMV one is next, so. They got Hemward up there. They got Full Metal Better Be up there. Al Doms just went up there. He's from our area in, in Virginia. He's from Norfolk, I think. Um, hell yeah. Yeah, so um, Virginia coming up, so that's good. That's gonna be hard. Looking forward to that on the radar. Uh, can you want you want to tell us what, what song he did? They do S Cal Money. I'm not. I, I don't. Okay, don't even do it. Don't do it beforehand. It's funny because on, on that hook, it sounds like he's saying "Let's count money." I don't know if he meant to do it like that because I don't even know what that S Cal word means. I'm not really hip like oh, that. It's but money. to me, it sounds like he's saying "Let's count money." So I'm like, okay, for the layman person that. who's not into it, like that's what they, you know, they still got some connective tissue. Yeah. Okay. Well, hell yeah. Look, I appreciate you, man. Um, is there anything else you want to say, lead the people with anything? Uh, not really, man. You know, I know. Just, um, uh, you know, check out the channel. We, we're doing a tour. 
Um, we did it last year, the end of Underground. Um, we're bringing on underground producers. We're doing live sets. Um, and we want to continue that wave of encouraging producers to get out there more, do stuff that's performative in a live space, click up, and all that. So that's something I guess we didn't really hit on, but I think it's important. So I'm, that's another big focus of mine. So. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff we didn't touch on, so definitely check out Bro's channel. We'll put that in the description. Um, I appreciate you, bro. Um, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. Shout out to this place for letting us run the studio. It's really cool if you guys are in the area. Check them out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you guys soon. Peace.